It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Hey, I got to tell you, the folks over at MSNBC seem really jacked up over Joe Biden. Every day now, there's a little box in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, what we call a bug in television. And it's like six days until the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden Jr., five days until Biden It started about 10 days. And my memory might be faulty, but I don't think I remember MSNBC having a promo box for 10 days for Donald Trump's inauguration. Just saying, but obviously they're all excited over there. Uh, everybody's going to cover it. Fox will have special programming. I'm supposed to be on the air. It's next Wednesday, so it's actually getting close. Um, I got a lot to get to on the podcast today. A lot of last-minute moving pieces, fallout from impeachment, uh, talking about the Senate trial, more information about the insurrection at the Capitol, a big uh, political blow-up at Politico that probably is inside baseball but has its own fascination. And there's a, a toilet story, and I'm not going down into toilet humor, but there is a toilet story uh, that you will want to catch. Also, it's Friday, so I'll remind you to watch Media Buzz Sunday morning, 11 Eastern on Fox News Channel. We are uh, uh, doing all the things we usually do, except we don't have to deal with the Trump tweets. I mean, every Sunday morning, for as long as I can remember, my staff's always emailing me, oh, Trump tweeted this. Well, do you want this tweet? Look, he just said that. I, I, I think he particularly did it, he often did it on Saturdays, but he particularly did it on Sunday mornings because he knew that Meet the Press and Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation and State of the Union um, and ABC's This Week were all coming on. He wanted to, you know, have his sort of last words, his last say, or, you know, take a segment in a different direction. Uh, but now, and, you know, I've raised all kinds of questions about this. Uh, the president doesn't have Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or, as of yesterday, Snapchat, if he wanted to commune with the younger people of America. Um, I love polls, e even though they're flawed and Snapchats and all that. And, you know, during the campaign, every couple of days, like, hey, did you see this poll? And, you know, it's getting tighter in uh, Florida and that sort of thing. Well, there's a Washington Post-ABC News poll today about the riot at the Capitol. And I want to share some of these numbers with you. I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you. You might want to write these down. There could be a quiz. Uh, okay, so the, the findings are partisan. And you're not shocked by that, and neither am I. Um, but over half of Americans say President Trump should be criminally charged for his role in the attacks. That surprises me. I mean, impeachment, conviction, I was expecting uh, a sizable number. Uh, let me drill down here a little bit. Um, by a margin of more than two to one, Americans in this post-ABC survey uh, say the president has acted irresponsibly in his statements and actions since the election. Uh, almost nine in 10 Americans opposed the storming of the Capitol, um, including eight in 10 who say they strongly oppose the events. Um, but here's the demographic breakdown. 98% of Democrats say they oppose the storming of the Capitol. 80% of Republicans, 89% of Independents, 87% of white Americans, 94% of black Americans, 93% of Hispanic Americans. Well, hold on for just a minute. Let me make sure I'm reading this right. 80% of Republicans say they opposed the storming of the Capitol. That means that 20% say it's okay, no big deal, uh, politics as usual. What? 
I mean, I'm liberally flabbergasted by this. I mean, I'm almost speechless. Not a good thing to do when you've got a half hour to go on the podcast. Now, I wouldn't be surprised by any number about Trump's culpability, the role of Trump, uh, should he be held responsible, what about the left-wing violence? None of that would surprise me. 80% of Republicans say they oppose the violent storming of the Capitol, left five people dead, one Capitol police officer dead, uh, which has shaken American democracy to its core. What, who are these other 20%? What do they have to say about it? Okay, so more numbers from the Post poll on Trump's uh, responsibility here. 45% overall say he bears a great deal of responsibility for the insurrection last week. 12% say he bears a good amount of responsibility. Now, the 14% uh, say Donald Trump deserves just some responsibility for the attack. And 28% say he doesn't bear any responsibility at all. So I guess if you add up the great deal, the good amount, uh, the sum, you get about 70% saying President Trump bears some degree of responsibility for what happens. Uh, now we get to the partisan breakdown. And you know this part doesn't surprise me, but nearly 9 in 10 Democrats and Democratic leaners say Trump bears responsibility for the attacks and a similar share. Nearly 9 in 10 say he should be charged with a crime. Um, that's a harder case to make, but we'll see. Obviously, after January 20th, he doesn't have any legal immunity from being the president of the United States. Only 2 out of 10 Republicans uh, blame Trump for what happened. More than 8 in 10 say he should not be prosecuted. Okay, That, I think, is the normal breakdown that we would expect. Uh, now on impeachment. Overall, the number from the Post poll, 56% of Americans favor removing him from office. In other words, saying that the Senate should convict him and disqualifying him from ever holding office again in the future, barring him from running again, particularly in 2024. That contrasts with the 47% who supported his impeachment and removal from office in the first impeachment trial just over a year ago. So that number has gone up from 47 to 56 overall. Now we get to the partisan breakdown. So if you're a Democrat or a Democrat leaner in this poll, you favor both the president's removal and disqualification by 89 to 9%. If you're a Republican, uh, or I guess a Republican leader, you oppose the president's removal, meaning Senate conviction, and disqualification from future uh, holding of office, by 85 to 12%. Among independents, 56% support removal from office and a ban on a future run. Now, as I've said, I don't think a Senate conviction is likely because of the two-thirds majority required by the Constitution. That's 67 senators. That means that even with a 50-50 Senate, 17 Republican senators would have to abandon the president of their party. Uh, so what about the trial? When's it going to happen? What's the deal with it? Uh, Republicans and Democrats have been talking to each other about just how this is going to go down. Um, so Democrats, when the Senate reconvenes, on January 19th, it's next week, Tuesday, day before the Biden inauguration. Uh, the two Georgia senators will be sworn in as well as others, and they will then control the Senate. Uh, they nevertheless, in a 50-50 Senate, even with Kamala Harris breaking the tie, they're trying to work things out with Republicans uh, to try to find a way to split the time between the Senate impeachment trial and such things as, such crucial things as, and I'll have more to say about this later, uh, Joe Biden's cabinet nominees, because he's going to start on January 20th with no, nobody confirmed, as far as I can tell, and the $1.9 trillion 
economic and COVID aid recovery plan uh, that he unveiled in a speech last night. Much more on that coming up on the pod. Uh, so the trial is not going to start until Biden, after Biden is sworn in. Now, Nancy Pelosi, as you remember this from last time when she delayed, she has discretion on when to formally transmit the single article of impeachment to the Senate. Some Democrats are saying she might wait until the following Monday, January 25th, or even longer, to allow for more time for the Senate to uh, at least confirm Biden's national security team and deal with these sort of continued threats of violence, which are continuing, not just here in Washington, which are starting to resemble an armed camp on Capitol Hill. If you've seen the picture, it's going to be like 20,000 National Guard members there uh, in the next five days, uh, uh, culminating in the inauguration. And boy, I wish half of them, even a quarter of them, had been on duty on January 6th. Uh, so continuing threats of violence. Um, so many of the Republicans are trying to sort of gauge the dynamics because they know uh, that, you know, if, they're, if, this, if, he, if the president is somehow convicted, he could um, be disqualified from holding office in the future. And some of them may think that's not such a bad idea. They may not want him around in 2024, particularly the Republicans who are eyeing a run in 2024, which could include Mike Pence, maybe not, after all that's happened. So Mitch McConnell, you know, you remember he put that leak out. He has indicated to colleagues, again, this is according to the New York Times now, that he is undecided about whether to convict Trump. Now, he has to say that because as the Senate Republican leader, he can't go into a trial where he has to hear evidence, even if it's not a very long trial, uh, with his mind made up. It doesn't look good. Even Lisa Murkowski, who's clearly signaling, I just saw an interview with her on TV, uh, I think in Alaska, that, that she's glad that the House did this, that she believes Trump may have committed impeachable offenses, but she's not saying she will vote to convict because you're a juror. You're one of 100 jurors and you have to say, even if it's a flimsy denial that you're keeping an open mind. Uh, while McConnell is sending mixed signals, Republican strategists and senior aides on the Hill believe he could ultimately swing one way or the other. And that, you know, I mean, that is the question. If Mitch McConnell decides to have a final break with Donald Trump and to vote for his conviction, would he bring other senators along with him? Are there other senators who want to vote for conviction beyond the, you know, the, the ones we know will probably vote for conviction? Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, maybe Susan Collins, Ben Sass, maybe one or two more. Um, but if, if their leader in the Senate is doing it, that is, gives you that sort of political camouflage you can say, well, I was voting with the leadership and I just felt this was so serious. But if Mitch McConnell doesn't do it, they can say, look, I think these are very serious offenses. President Trump didn't uh, acted irresponsibly, but it doesn't warrant his removal from office, especially, I mean, here's the out. I've been saying this for days, folks. Trump's going to be down in Mar-a-Lago. He's going to be private citizen Donald Trump. And any Republican senator that wants to can say, look, he's already out of office. The people have spoken. Never mind the fact that we spent two and a half months arguing over unproven allegations of a stolen election, but there's no need to do this now because he's already out of the White House. Uh, meanwhile, more information about the awful insurrection. Dozens of people who came to D.C. for these pro-Trump events, which ended in this sort of crime rampage, the violent mob that stormed the Capitol, were on a terrorist watch list. According to people uh, familiar with the evidence gathered in this FBI investigation and speaking to the Washington Post, um, many of them suspected white supremacists 
whose past conduct so alarmed investigators that their name had previously entered into the official National Terrorist Screening Database. They're flagged as security risks. Now, that's separate from the no-fly list where you can't get on an airplane, uh, but kind of probably runs parallel. And so having all these names, all these people in one place, it's another intelligence failure. There's just no question about it. The whole reason for the terrorist watch list is to uh, notify not just federal, but local law enforcement authorities, and that would include the Capitol Police, and that would include the D.C. Police, that people who are considered a potential terrorist threat are coming to your community. When a whole lot of them are coming, none of them were stopped. I mean, it's just another breakdown. Uh, there was a Washington Post report the other day showing that uh, FBI field office uh, in Virginia had put out a warning to all of the, you know, the, remember what we always hear about, well, we coordinate between the, the federal, federal government and the Pentagon and the CIA and the FBI and every local police department, every sheriff's office. Well, they had put out a warning, an internal intelligence report to other agencies the day before about plans to attack Congress, smash windows, um, quoting here now, break down doors and, quote, here's the quote, get violent, go there ready for war. What happened? We weren't ready for war. We weren't ready for violence. We weren't ready for an invasion of the Capitol. You just had about 1,400 Capitol police officers on duty, no special riot gear, no D.C. police reinforcements, no National Guard. It was an absolute dereliction of duty and an absolute intelligence failure. And you didn't even need the internal intelligence report. You just had to go on social media and see all the people who are openly saying, let's go there, let's be ready for trouble, uh, gather up your guns. I mean, I've read some of this. Just, just absolutely awful. Now, interesting, I like to see what conservatives are saying about the president's impeachment and now Senate trial. So Matthew Cottonetti uh, is a very conservative guy who was the founding editor of the Washington Free Beacon, a very conservative publication here in D.C. He often writes for National Review and sometimes appears on Fox News. And he is all out for conviction, and I think it would be interesting to hear his argument. First of all, he's sort of slamming the Senate for not doing this before January 20th. He says these obstacles to a speedy trial were either procedural or unpersuasive. Is the Senate truly unable to perform its constitutional function before Joe Biden's inauguration? The senators are around, he says. It's not like they have anything better to do. Plenty of them live within driving distance to the Capitol. Others are planning confirmation hearings next week for Biden nominees. Would the Senate take this nonchalant attitude toward another Pearl Harbor or 9-11? He says he's not making these comparisons likely. That the January 6th attack on Capitol Hill also lives in infamy. To borrow the famous phrase from Franklin Delano Roosevelt on December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. Donald Trump's behavior since the elections has cut any guarantees he'll remember as a villain of American history. A lot of you may not agree with that. A lot of Republicans obviously don't agree with that. But this is what Cottonetti says. And then he, he tries to deal with the opposing argument. Uh, the president's supporters and even some opponents say that trial, conviction, and removal would further divide the country. They're afraid of more violence. The risk of action, in their view, outweighs the costs of inaction. Better for the country to look the other way, and maybe the whole thing just quietly fades. Now, Cottonetti says, this is a line of thought that's not easy to dismiss. It's often encountered in foreign policy debate. 
Another word for it is appeasement. That's a, that's a word with a lot of historical resonance if you go back in history. Um, is there a better way to handle the challenges to constitutional government? That way is deterrence. Increase the cost of transgression past the price the adversary is willing to pay. How? Through awe-inspiring action. Not just the show of force in Washington ahead of Inauguration Day or the massive FBI investigation, which has arrested a lot of people and will arrest more. Trying and convicting Trump before his term is up stigmatizes his conduct. It sets a precedent. Up until this point, Trump has set the example. Now let Congress turn him into an example of what happens to presidents who endanger the Constitution and its officers. Look, I... I understand there's a case to be made on both sides. Continenti obviously feels very strongly about this. I do think it takes, you know, if there could have been a Senate trial before Biden's inauguration, you know, why not? Why not do it when he's still president? If you, if Nancy Pelosi, and they rush this thing through, no hearings, no, de- you know, there was a report, but there was, you know, no witnesses, no defense by the president, because they regarded Trump as a clear and present danger. But if you do it after he's out of office, he's no longer a clear and present danger. You lose that argument. But that's, you know, that's the way it's going down. The trial will be after January 20th. Uh, they will try to split the time in the Senate between doing the nation's business and doing this piece of business. Um, and it remains to be seen whether Senate Republicans will allow this to come even close to conviction. But here's another interesting fallout. As those who, uh, remember, there were 136 House Republicans and 10 Senate Republicans who, even after the violence, even after the casualties, went back in and they said, well, look, we were going to do this before, let's do it again. A few, a few Republicans slipped, including Kelly Loeffler. Uh, they said, we are voting to challenge the Electoral College results. Um, the first state that came up was Arizona, then there was Pennsylvania, And those numbers, 10 senators, 136 House members voted to challenge the results. Now, some said they were doing this to overturn the election. Some, many said that they knew there was no chance of overturning the election. It was symbolic, sending a message. But they were taking up the cries of stolen election that had not been proven in any federal court or in any state court or by the Justice Department. One of them was Republican Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma. Yesterday, he apologized to the black residents of Tulsa for not recognizing that they'd be offended by him questioning the presidential election results. He wrote an open letter, my friends in North Tulsa. Lankford said, he recognizes now that his actions caused a firestorm of suspicion among many of my friends, particularly in black communities around the state. I was completely blindsided, but I also found a blind spot. Uh, He apparently has spent a lot of time, more so than typical Republican, dealing with the black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Here's more quotes from his letter. What I did not realize was all the national conversation about states like Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Michigan was seen as casting doubt on the validity of votes coming out of predominantly black communities like Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Detroit. I should have recognized how what I said and what I did could be interpreted by many of you. I deeply regret my blindness to that perception, and for that, I am sorry. So you can tell that Lankford's getting a whole lot of blowback here. And it has become a kind of an article of faith in black community, especially after the violent insurrection, that this was an effort, because so many white supremacists were involved in the violence at the Capitol last week, 
This, this was an effort to overturn the election. And, you know, when you got down to the contested states uh, like Georgia, like Pennsylvania, like Michigan, um, when you get down to what the argument that the Trump team was making, the Trump campaign, it really did involve how did all of these mail-in ballots come from places like Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Detroit, which not only were, are more democratic than the rest of their states, and not only used mail-in ballots heavily, uh, which meant when those uh, tallies came in uh, after the same-day voting, they were likely to be much more democratic, but there is a very large African-American vote in those big cities. That is no secret to anyone. And so it's been cast now as a bunch of white people who belong to the Republican Party, who are the members that, that did this in the House and the Senate, all white men in the Senate, how could they do this? Because this was, in the view of this argument, disenfranchising a whole lot of Americans, including a whole lot of black Americans. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, I want to get now to the Biden plan. He gave this speech last night. He's the president-elect. He laid out a $1.9 trillion emergency relief plan. And he gave a speech about, you know, how, you know, this is going to be tough times and a lot of this money is going to go to vaccines. I'll give you the breakdown in a moment. And he said that the vaccine rollout so far has been a failure. And then no matter what state you live in, I think that's pretty much true. It's been ridiculously slow. I understand the bureaucratic obstacles. The whole idea of I'm totally in agreement with that the most vulnerable populations, people in nursing homes, frontline healthcare workers should come first and then people over 75. Well, now CDC has changed the guidance to say, let's get the people over 65 because a lot of doses, because of these bottlenecks and also states say they're not getting enough doses, um, some of these doses have to be thrown out at the end of the day or just given to average randos who walk up because they can't quite get them to the people who need it. So Biden wants to spend a lot more money on that. So here's how... His proposal breaks down. $400 billion to fight the coronavirus with more vaccines and more testing while reopening schools. Some of that money goes to schools. More than $1 trillion in direct relief to families, including through stimulus payments. And this is, remember, President Trump wanted $2,000 checks. Congress ended up passing 600 After that, Trump refused to sign it. There was that whole melodrama. Biden would give another $1,400 uh, per eligible person to bring it up to 2000 And I think a lot of Republicans, um, you know, they may say the whole bill is too expensive and we'll get to that. They're going to have a hard time saying, well, we don't think pe- people should get this extra 1400 when their own president made a point of saying that 600 bucks was a joke and it should have been $2,000 per eligible person, which if you have several members in your family, obviously can add up. Uh, also, Biden wants to extend the um, unemployment insurance benefits for those who run out. It's supposed to expire in March. He would extend it for a few months after that. He wants to increase it, I think, from uh, $300 per jobless person to $400. And then, and here we get to the more controversial parts, $440 billion in aid to communities and businesses. I think the aid to businesses is not so com- uh, uh, controversial, but $350 bill. 350B in emergency funding to state, local, and tribal governments. Um, that's going to be attacked as a bailout for blue states and so forth. Although, you know, the problem is state revenues have been badly hurt. Therefore, states have to lay off police officers, teachers, firefighters, and others, healthcare workers even. And that's the argument for it, whether states, you know, have uh, done a great job with their budgets or not. But the thing about this proposal, and look, 
obviously you have a new liberal democratic president. It's going to be a much more liberal proposal. It is a bit of a Christmas tree loaded up with some other liberal stuff. And this was the argument the Republicans made against the other bill, which they, which you know, only passed, remember, after the election and in the waning days of that lame duck session. Just it was actually went to Trump on Christmas Eve, as I recall, or maybe it was the day before that. So among the things that Biden wants to do, and look, there's very uncontroversial things here: fifty billion dollars for a massive expansion of testing for COVID, hundred thirty billion to help schools reopen safely, but. And here Biden said, I know what I just described will not come cheaply, but failure to do so will cost us dearly. And obviously he's probably picking a bigger number, figuring he'll have to compromise to some degree with Republicans on a smaller number, unless the Democrats, which they now have the power to do in both houses, use some kind of fancy budgeting like called reconciliation, where you can pass it in both houses on a majority vote. You can pass it 51 to 50 in the Senate and not have to get to that 60 threshold to stop a filibuster. And obviously there's already a majority, although a smaller majority than in the last Congress, where Democrats could push it through in the House. But here are some of the wish list things for it doesn't mean that I oppose this, but a lot of people are going to say, especially if they have an R after their name, let's not deal with this now. Let's make this a true COVID-focused relief bill uh, and not deal with every item the Democrats have wanted to do for years. Biden coming out for a federal minimum wage, 15 bucks an hour. Also, billions of dollars for child care. Um, also, uh, linking the level of unemployment benefits to general economic factors so that benefits increase automatically when the unemployment rate spikes. I happen to think there's some merit in that because um, it's kind of like if you're on Social Security, you have a COLA, cost of living adjustment. goes up automatically with inflation. If you get an unemployment benefits, it doesn't go up automatically. Congress has to vote, and then there's always you know, the political partisanship. I think there's some merit to that. But if you put in a $15 an hour minimum wage, more money for child care, uh, somehow uh, tying uh, jobless aid to the health of the economy, you're going to get a whole bunch of people who are going to say, um, this is not what we should be doing now when we're, you know, we have to expand the debt. And we're, there's already huge deficit and debt at the federal government level. Oh, here's another one that I'm sure you'll be hearing about uh, from Republicans. Biden's plan would expand eligibility for stimulus payments to family where one parent is an immigrant. Now, does that matter? Is that code for illegal immigrant? Probably is. And a lot of people are not going to like that. Also, um, Adult children who are claimed as dependents on their parents' tax returns, they would be eligible for a stimulus payment. Maybe that's a good idea. Maybe it's not. Um, but when you throw all these things together, uh, more time for sick leave, uh, combine 14 weeks of paid sick and family medical leave from millions of workers. Um, all of this, and then there's money for Puerto Rico, more money for food stamps. You know, maybe you can justify it given the state of the economy, but the more things you put in there that liberals have wanted for years, the harder it is going to be to pass this entire package, unless, as I say, the Democrats just decide uh, the heck with bipartisanship, we're just going to steamroll this through, which Republicans have been known to do when they are in power. And, you know, it's, uh, the argument always flips back and forth. All right, I got to get to the toilet story. Washington Post. Many Secret Service agents have stood guard in Washington's elite Kalorama neighborhood. To get down to the bottom line here, sources are saying that the Secret Service agents assigned to President Trump's daughter and son-in-law, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, 
were not able to use their bathrooms. And this was a problem. They had a, first they put up a porta potty, then they had to, um, they tried to do it at Obama's house for President Obama lives nearby. Um, and then there's a woman who lives nearby agreed to rent her basement for these agents who, you know, they're on duty for eight, 10 hours a day. They need a place to go. And the woman charged them rent, $3,000 a month, more than $100,000 to date for Secret Service agents to be able to go pee. So there is a pissing match over this, forgive me, uh, because it's $100,000 flushed down the drain, forgive me again. But you got to do something. Now, the, the reason is in dispute. White House is denying that Jared and Ivanka said that the Secret Service couldn't go to their bathrooms while they're guarding them. By the way, in case you didn't know, it's a 5,000-square-foot home that they are renting, six bedrooms, six-and-a-half bathrooms. Um, the White House says the Secret Service decided, you know, in order not to infringe on the privacy of the family, they wouldn't go to the bathroom there. Uh, Secret Service originally declined to comment, but later put out a statement saying, in accordance with the practice, Secret Service personnel do not request access to the facilities of private residences. Ivanka and Jared have not denied Secret Service personnel access to their home to include use of the restroom. What happened is the Obama alternative was working out, but then there's one, how do I put this delicately, one agent who kind of left a mess when he went to the bathroom, and the, you know, the Secret Service detail at Obama's house said, ah, forget it, we don't want those other people coming because they just, they're just dirty. Anyway, all of this is creating this sort of toilet gate. Uh, it's a pretty interesting story. Uh, not clear ultimately who's to blame, but people who don't like Jared and don't like Ivanka are having a field day with us. And finally, the, uh, the, the, the uproar Politico. So Ben Shapiro, conservative podcaster, he runs the Daily Wire, he writes a lot of books, and he's a very provocative, conservative personality. He was allowed to guest write yesterday's playbook newsletter in Politico. Uh, they're hiring a new team, so they've had different people doing it. There was an uproar Politico. How could you possibly let Ben Shapiro do this? And Politico put out a statement saying, look, we want to have prominent thinkers and writers who represent a range of perspectives. What set Politico apart in this intense political uh, media moment is that we rise above ideological warfare. Well, there was such a stink, picking up on the previous item, that the uh, top editor, Matt Kaminsky, had a conference call with a whole bunch of people who worked for Politico, uh, and, they, and he said on the conference call, uh, according to Daily Beast and other publications, it was a Zoom call uh, saying, we're not going to back away from having, something, having published something because some people think it was a mistake. Now, here's what i got to say to this. Look at who else was able to guest write this political playbook. Uh, Weijia Zhang, PBS White House correspondent. Um, Meet the Press host Chuck Todd is supposed to do it. Yamish Alcindor who got into so many battles of President Trump as the White House correspondent for PBS NewsHour. She wrote it, and she wrote a screed saying President Trump is racist, President Trump is always, uh, of course, his presidency was going to end this way. Nobody cared that she wrote a liberal screed. But when it's a conservative, suddenly political can't believe it. Sam Stein, formerly of the Huffington Post, um, formerly of the Daily Beast, a very liberal MSNBC contributor has just been hired as Politico's editor. Any uproar there? The problem with this is the uproar is, you know, Politico did the right thing. The editor stuck to their guns. They want, you know, everybody knows in the media world who Ben Shapiro is. They want to let him write, and he writes things that are conservative. It's just the other side. If you're going to let some libs do it, why not let Ben Shapiro? Nevertheless, 
probably a lot more important questions in the world right now than whether Ben Shapiro should have had the guest writing privileges for political playbook, but it has caused a classic beltway flap. Hey, I hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Hope you have a chance to catch Media Buzz on Sunday morning. We'll see you then, or we'll see you back here on Monday with more Buzzbeat. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.